So we are finishing up Ruth. Uh, Robert will finish up next week. You all can be in prayer for about 47 of us. We leave this week to go to Israel. And uh, so next Sunday when Robert is uh, helping you understand the, the conclusion of Ruth, the genealogy there at the very end of it, uh, there are a few of us that will pray for you uh, while we're eating our dinner over there. So uh, uh, pray for us. Ruth is an incredible story, and I think it's kind of cool that we're all together for this uh, because there's sort of something in here for everybody. There's parents and grandparents and children and hard workers and co-workers and entrepreneurs and family drama and hard times and good times and births and deaths. If, if your family is going through it, there's probably something in Ruth that you've discovered, and, and today is no exception. Today is, as Bridget promised last week, the day that we're kind of going to wrap the thing up, and so we're going to walk through the remainder of, of Ruth except for the last couple of verses that point to something that even the writer of Ruth didn't know about yet, and Robert will explain all that next week. So the, the word that I want you to listen for a lot today is the word redemption. Redemption literally means to set something free by paying a price. To set something free by paying a price, by, by offering the cost. So redemption is never free. It, it's never without cost. And today we're going we're gonna to see that word. I, I lost count in Ruth chapter 4 how many times the word redeem, redeemer, redemption, they are used over and over and again. And, and if you're in the habit of writing in your Bible or, or it seems like a bad habit to write on the face of your phone, but whatever you want to do, uh, just look how many times the word redemption is used to set something free by paying a price. So we pick up in Ruth where Bridget left off last week, and uh, I had a lot of fun creating rhymes this week, so we're going to start off with sort of a, an overview of where we've come from, and we're going to call that from gloom to groom. So in chapter 1, the story is introduced, sad story uh, famine in the land. They, uh, Elimelech is the, the husband and, and his wife, Naomi, their two kids, Malon and Chilion. They move to Moab because there's famine in Israel. And we, we made some observations about whether or not maybe they should have just trusted God for food. So when they get down there, there's horrible, horrible circumstances. The, the dad dies, both of the sons die, and Naomi is left with her two daughters-in-law who are both Moabitesses. Say that before lunch. 
And so these two ladies are, are torn between their families in Moab and returning to Bethlehem, where Naomi is from, because she says, I've had enough of this place. It's time for me to get back home. I hear there's food now in Israel. So she starts the trip back. Well, one of the daughters-in-law returns to her parents, and the other one, Ruth, the, the namesake of the book, she says, I'm going to stay with you. And she says something very important. She says, where you go, I will go. Where you lay down, I will lay down. Where you die, I will die. Where you are buried, I will be buried. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. And so we see there that there's a dramatic uh, conversion of sorts, where, where Ruth turns away from all of her uh, pagan gods that she's grown up with, uh, the, the sort of derivatives of, uh, of anything, and she specifically uses the name Yahweh, which is the personal uh, come-in-my-heart kind of God, not the, the, the God you're up there and I'm afraid if I do bad, you'll punish me, but if I do good, you'll bless me. This is the, the personal God that will walk with you in tragedy, enjoy all the things that families experience. So they get back to Bethlehem and Naomi hatches this plan that if only a prominent man who is in their family a man from the clan, so to speak, if only he would sort of take a shine to Ruth and maybe marry her and, and let us have our family land back. Apparently, the Naomi's land had, had fallen under foreclosure or something like that, and, and they needed somebody in the family to pay the price to get it back. But there was no one. And so Naomi discovers that by chance, and we all know that it's not by chance, it's by providence, that Ruth ends up in a field that's owned by a family member named Boaz. And a romance sort of develops, and, and Naomi kind of says, okay, go on, run along, do, do what I tell you to do, make sure you're noticed, take a bath, spray on a little smell good. Find him, make your intentions known. Ruth says, what do you mean? In, in her own way, Naomi says, well, here's the deal. Ask him to marry you. Sort of a Sadie Hawkins move thousand years before Christ. So that all happens, and Boaz is interested. He's a little bit older. He, he, he's a, a little bit excited that he's an uh, attractive young thing is, is, is sort of looking at him. And so the agreement is made, and he is ready to, to seal the deal, redeem the land, take Ruth as his wife. Everything's going to be lovely. There's a problem. There's another guy in the family who is closer in the line of succession. He's, he's the one who really has the rights to redeem the property. And so that's where Bridget left us last week. He said, I will take care of business. Ruth is told by her mother-in-law, Naomi, if he says he's going to take care of business, he'll take care of business, so you need to just wait. 
So Boaz moves to action. Ruth moves to, to patience. And that's where we pick up here. So we've gotten from gloom to groom. And now we need to get from the threshing floor to the city door. See what I did there? In chapter 4, we pick up, now Boaz had gone on, and I didn't put all the scripture on the screen this week because there's so much of it. There's a Bible in front of you under the little chair rack thing, or maybe in your phone or your own copy of God's Word. Ruth chapter 4 is where we're at, but it's a story you can follow along pretty easy. So Boaz had gone up to the gate. Little word about the city gate. That was where all business got done. So the cities in Palestine were walled. They were normally on a hill because that's what you could defend. And so the fields that produced crops and usually the water source was outside the city. And the gate or the city wall, the gate in the city wall, there was only one so you could defend it. It was this serpentine kind of thing that would be really hard for armies to breach. And just inside that was a little courtyard area that was sort of the town hall, the, the courthouse, uh, the, the gathering place, the community room. It's where everybody did business. So that's where Boaz was. He, he had a plan. He went to the city gate, and he sat down. Now, again, the word behold is used there to tell us that, hey, unexpected twist. Here's a little turn in the story coming. Be alert. So here comes the other guy who's closer in line. The Bible is really funny sometimes, folks. It really, really is. You know, we have phrases that we use today that don't make any sense if you break them apart. Willy-nilly, hocus-pocus, helter-skelter. But if you take them as a, as a phrase, all of a sudden it makes sense. Well, the, the, the Hebrew here is a rhyming phrase that is assigned to the guy who's next in line, but it's not going to give us his name because the narrator doesn't want us to like him. True story. And so if you were to translate what the Hebrew writer actually said, he says, yeah, oh, Mr. So-and-so. Oh, Mr. What's-his-name. He, he, he came by. So what's-his-face decided, and, and it's a combination of providence and practicality. Of course, it was predictable that he would go past there. That was the only way he could get out. But it was also God ordained that God set all this up because Boaz needed to have a conversation with him about the possibility of land and a hand. I'm on a roll, folks. So he says, turn aside, what's your face, and sit down here. What choice did the guy have? So he turned aside he sat down. Boaz had assembled 10 elders, sort of the city council. He'd gotten them all there. So he said to the, to what's his face? Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land. A better translation is that she lost it. It was sold on the courthouse steps. 
but it is the right in our culture that if a family person will come up and pay the, the price for that land, that it can be put back in the family or redeemed. So I thought I would tell you about it. And I would say to you, Mr. So-and-so, I buy it. Why, why don't you exercise this right? Let's take care of this widow. Let, let's take care of Naomi. Let's make sure she's okay. Okay. Buy it here in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know because there's no one else. There's just you and me. So if you don't redeem it, I will. That's kind of where we are today. And the guy thinks about it. He says, well, if I can add land to my holdings, why not? If I can add a parcel of land, that sounds like a good deal. And so he says to Boaz, okay, I will redeem it. And then Boaz says, well, there's another little detail here. If you get the land, you get Ruth's hand. If you're going to get the property, then not only are you redeeming the property back into the family, but you're promising that you will help Ruth provide a male heir so that Naomi can be taken care of in her old age. Uh, we, we don't really understand that, but families, he, he, here's the deal. It's, it's, it's been forever that there has been an expectation that the younger generation will take care of the older generation. The older I get, the more important that is. And so Naomi needed a, a, a family member, a redeemer, somebody who would come along and, and help her out. And, and so the responsibility of this redemption process was twofold. It was not only the land, it was also an heir. Get the land back into the family, provide an heir so that Naomi and Ruth and can be taken care of in their old age. That, that's, that's the deal. And so the guy says, okay, wrinkle. I can see a number of problems with this. Number one, if I take on that land and add it to all of my land, then when it comes time for inheritance, all of my land is subject to being divided up, not just that little parcel. So if Ruth has a son, he is and partial owner of all of the land that I have, all of my possessions, and that would, in his words, that would dilute my inheritance. So he said, I'm going to pass. I don't need the land because I don't want the hand. The other part of the wrinkle is I can only see this guy coming home and saying, honey, I had an interesting day. I'd like for you to meet Ruth. <laughs> And I'm guessing he said, that's not going to play well either. And so he passes on the whole thing, and, and, and the story goes on. Boaz says, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth. He says, I don't believe I want to do that. And so verse 7, this was the custom in former times in Israel. And that's fascinating to me. Because apparently a lot of time had passed between when the story happened and when the story had written. 
because this custom had passed out of being in use. It was the custom. In the olden days, they used to have to walk uphill to school both ways, and it snowed every day in, in the olden days. And so he said it was the custom in former times that to confirm a transaction, one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. Now, there's two places that could go, and I've got a little bit of time, so I'll just say them quickly. In Deuteronomy 25, there's a little bit about a sandal where if a relative refused to say that he would provide an heir, the widow had the right to take off his shoe, slap him with it, and spit in his face. It was like public shame. I would have loved to seen it. But that's probably not what this is talking about. This is probably talking about a real estate transaction because as God interacted with his people, land was a really big deal. And if you could put your foot on land, it demonstrated possession. And so if you took somebody else's sandal and put it on your land or exchanged where your foot would go, it's like the closing table of a real estate deal. And that's probably what happened here. I would have loved to have seen Ruth slap the guy with a sandal, but I don't think that's what happened. So this was the custom. So when the Redeemer said, buy, off, buy it for yourself, he took off his sandal. Ruth said to the elders and all the people, your witnesses this day, I've bought the land from Naomi, all that belonged to Elimelech, all that belonged to Chilion, all that belonged to Malon. Remember, those are, are Naomi's sons who died. I've bought Ruth to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead. So Naomi gets a, 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 an heir, Ruth gets a son, Elimelech gets a, 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 a landowner in the family, so that he may not be cut off. Your witnesses this day. And verse 11 through 16, basically, uh, 11 through 12 is, is kind of a blessing. Uh, all the people said yay and, uh, and blessed them. And it's exactly what it says. May you act worthily. May you be blessed. May you have children. And so now we sort of pick up that the story takes a fun turn. From gloom to groom. From the threshing floor to the city door. From bitterness to betterness. When Ruth got back to town with Naomi... All of the people saw Naomi and said, isn't that Naomi? And Naomi said, don't call me that anymore. Call me Mara, for I am bitter. I'm bitter towards God. I'm bitter towards circumstances. I'm bitter towards life. I'm going to die an old lady without an heir. I've got a Moabite daughter-in-law, and she's wonderful, but she can't redeem the land. And Naomi was like, Lots of us, when circumstances don't line up very well, we start thinking about all the reasons that someone else is to blame for our problems. We start trying to, to fix things by adjusting immediately or, or, or convincing somebody to do this or to manipulate this or to buy this or to ensure that. or to We, 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 we try to make things better all the while, while we're bitter. But God decided to intervene. One of the things we've said throughout this whole series is that God is at work behind the scenes. 
We said in Romans 8, God causes all things to work together for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, we walk by faith and not by sight. Jesus said in John 20, blessed are all of you who, who believe even though you can't see. And so this, this idea of trusting God as he works behind the scenes, I know that some of your family drama is intense. I get that some of you are going, I, I don't know anything else to do, don't know anything else to say, got nothing left here. I get it. Trust me, I get it. And to know that God is working behind the scenes to let our bitterness become betterness, that is a leap of faith for many of us. All we can feel is the pain of the moment. And what an incredibly well-written story to help us see that in the most unlikely way, in the most ordinary people, in the most dire of circumstances, God is orchestrating things that maybe they don't even know they need until they happen. Like we said, when Ruth began to, to uh, work the fields in Boaz, as the, the Scripture says, she chanced upon a chance, and she took her chance. And it was this, this idea, and, and this is graduation season, and some of our seniors have no idea what's next. The June is, is bride month, and, and so many young brides have no idea what's next. The husbands just have no idea. <laughs> Amen. Thank you for that affirmation. Uh, yeah, uh, today is 40 years for Judy and I, and I still have no idea. So, bitter to better, and the story just kind of ends. So, Boaz took Ruth, verse 13, she became his wife, he went with her, they bore a son, the women said, blessed is Naomi, God has not left you without a Redeemer. And in this case, the Redeemer is the, the grandson, his name is Obed, which means servant, if you're just a Bible geek, the word Obadiah means servant of God, Yah, Obadiah, and, and Obed is a shortened form of that, and he was servant to Naomi, servant to God, servant to Ruth. So he, he's born, and you have a daughter-in-law that loves you, and then it gives us a little tease about next week. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse and the father of King, and the grandfather of King David. Wow. Come back next week, and Robert will explain all of that to you. Here's some family observations that I have for you, just sort of looking back. An ancient story leads to modern wisdom, and in keeping with the day, from Ruth to truth. We're on a roll. God is a God of mystery and order. And, and you look at this whole thing, especially chapter 4, God was working behind the scenes, but Boaz had a plan. 
He, he said, I'm going I'm to introduce this real estate transaction in the language of our people and give this guy a chance. But then I'm going to drop the bomb on him that if he gets the land, he gets the hand, and I, and I think I know how it's going to work out. God honors that in our families, we trust that he is working behind the scenes. We don't get ahead of him. We don't really get beside him. We get behind him, and then we work strategically as we understand what he's revealing to us. We, we, sometimes that looks like reaction. Sometimes that is, is trusting the extraordinary. Sometimes it's just, God, I don't know what to do next, so I'm going to trust you. God is order and mystery, and he wants us in families to do things properly and strategically. We have to fight for our families. Boaz fought for his family. It was sort of a gradual unfolding in his understanding that that's what he had to do. But moms, dads, kids, he fought for his family. Ruth fought for a family. Naomi fought for the, the, the whole redemption process is costly. And Boaz laid his reputation on the line. He laid his inheritance on the line. If the other guy said, my inheritance is going to get diluted, we don't have any reason to believe that Boaz's inheritance wouldn't get diluted too. But for him, it was worth it because he was fighting for a family. And sometimes we fight for our families. Tim Keller, one of my author heroes, passed away this week, and, and I'm reading his book on forgiveness and he talks about how costly forgiveness is, basically because he says we give up our right to be mad. We give up our, our, our right to hold on to something when we forgive someone else. It's costly. Boaz fought for his family. Sometimes God uses the extraordinary and sometimes he uses the unexpected to accomplish the extraordinary. So many times in this story you go, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> didn't see that coming. Wow. Oh, threshing floor. Oh, and by the way, I needed to solve a mystery for you. A lot of you got hung up on the phrase, she uncovered his feet. Let me go ahead and unpack that for you. To uncover one's feet in Hebrew means this, literally, to uncover one's feet. And the truth that goes behind that is that cold feet make you wake up. You have been in bed, your feet are cold, you go, oh, my feet are cold. And, and while there is an argument for the euphemism that that carries, I just don't take that to be what that means at its very heart because they go out of their way to describe Boaz and Ruth both as people of integrity. So, so she uncovers his feet unexpected, didn't see that happening. Thousands of years from now, people are going, uncover his feet, cover me with your blanket. And we've, we've done that for years and years. But behind it, God is doing the extraordinary through the unexpected. Always, 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 our families are part of a bigger picture. 
You know, we've talked about this throughout this series that our, our families here at DBC were, were part of a bigger family that is DBC. And so when we have some drama in our families, it's unlikely that that drama is unknown across our community of faith. It is highly likely that you will be able to find someone who has walked through what you're walking through. Our families are always part of a bigger picture. I wouldn't wish what happened after Hurricane Katrina and Judy and I on anybody, but we learned a lot from it. I wouldn't wish the, 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 the job loss that some of you have experienced or, or the tragedy of, of children who, who pass away prematurely. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. But in every single one of those stories, your story has been beneficial to someone else as you have come alongside of them. Your, your family is always part of a bigger story. And finally, the reminder, redemption is costly. Uh, by very definition, it's costly. It's, uh, Jesus says that anyone who will come after me, they will be saved. It, it sounds free. It sounds easy. It sounds like all we've got to do is become a follower of Christ, and our life will be wonderful. No, our life will be eternal, and it costs a very high price, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so when we talk about this love story, it's a, it's a great love story. Everything turns out well in the end. But there was a price paid throughout. And we can't ever forget that our redemption, this story has become for Christians a, a sort of a, a, a metaphor or an allegory of how much God loves us, how much He fights for us, how He will redeem us when we, when we come after Him. But it's a costly redemption, and for that we're eternally grateful. Would you pray with me? God, we are stunned at the redemption story that we find in Ruth. We're blown away by the willingness of Boaz to take on Ruth. And we're just as blown away by your willingness to take us in our sin and shame, our guilt, our humiliation, and say that we are forgiven based on the cost, based on the price that you paid. God, if there's one here in the room, one watching online, who maybe for the first time that clicks, that that they can be part of this, this family, this, this huge family called the church, the smaller family called DBC, that they can be part of something that's bigger than themselves by confessing sin, receiving you as their Savior and Lord, being baptized and a part of the family of faith we call Dunwoody Baptist Church. What an amazing transaction, and, and redemption is a pretty good word for it. If there are any of you that that fits, would you please not let this day go by? Find a, an, a greeter out in the lobby. Find one of us as pastors. We're about to have a picnic. Find us at the picnic and say, I want to begin a conversation about what it would be to be a child of God just like this story. Don't leave that on the table. Make that happen today.
Father, bless our time together. We are grateful for this scandalous redemption that you brought about through the death of your Son on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.